It's time for Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. Todd Marquardt, attorney at law in Texas. If you're a millionaire or a thousandaire, Talk Law Radio is now on the air. Call in with your business law question, your elder law question. Veteran aid, Medicaid, build a business to get paid. 210-308-8867. Or ask a question online at marquardlawfirm.com. That's M-A-R-Q-U-A-R-D-T, lawfirm.com. And now, it's Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. Welcome to Talk Law Radio with your host, Todd Marquardt. Marquardt Law Firm is sponsoring our show today, and attorneys at Marquardt Law Firm focus on business and estate law, including last wills, living trusts, tax-protected inheritance plans, new businesses, and old businesses, which might have issues with corporations, contracts, LLCs, FLPs, and we can represent those who are facing problems from lack of planning, with guardianships, probate, and our new attorneys can handle your litigation matters as well. Our staff includes attorneys Daniel Palmer, Alex Vollmer, and me. Now it's time to discover your legal issue blind spots by listening to me talk about the law on the radio. The State Bar of Texas is the state agency that governs attorney law licenses, and the State Bar wants attorneys to inform the public about the law. But because legal advice must be tailored to the specific circumstances of each case, and because laws are ever-changing, material discussed in this program is meant for general informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Before we get started talking about the law, let's begin with prayer. Dear God, thank you for this day and for all the gifts and blessings that you give to us. Please forgive us for our sins, our mistakes, for doing the wrong thing, or failing to do your will. Please help me give good information to the listeners about the Texas law of last will and testament today. Help us to use the gifts and talents you have provided for the good of your people, for our own good, and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so today it's going to be... uh, lesson format from me. I don't have a guest here today, and so I'm just going to be talking about wills, the top 10 problems with home-cooked last wills and half-baked plans. What chaos might erupt from a homemade last will? By the way, this is Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. We're here at 9.30 a.m. The Answer, You can listen to us uh, in your car, uh, on your radio, uh, or you can listen by streaming this episode online at 930amtheanswer.com. You can also listen to previous episodes on our podcast. You can find our podcast on iTunes. You can find our, our previous episode podcasts at www.talklawradio.com. So if you're interested in in something, 
look to look in that uh, our archives and you might find something on wills trusts probate uh, guardianship elder law business law uh, we talk about a lot of different things so back to the top 10 problems with home cooked last wills and half baked plans when people are confused after somebody passes away how do you think they feel well i i meet with a, a lot of these individuals that are um, facing confusion and chaos after the death of a loved one and as you can imagine they're already grieving they're sad that they've lost a, a friend or family member and on top of that they're also wondering about uh, what's going to happen next with this person's belongings the deceased person's belongings and it might not be because um, the survivors the beneficiaries the friends um, need money or that they need anything in particular um, what I see is beneficiaries and friends they just want to hang on to memories um, because they're not going to be able to talk to this person on the phone they're not going to be able to go visit they're not going to be able to have lunch or dinner or cocktails or whatever and so the the next best thing in their mind is that they just want to have something a memento to remember them by and it doesn't even have to be valuable uh, it's just something that has a sentimental value and this is something that will cause fights between family members even people who love each other dearly uh, fight about these things because they they think that that one thing is going to fill the hole in their in their soul so to speak um, because they're they want to hang on to the memory of that loved one so that's the chaos that that could erupt from um, making a will that doesn't make things clear so again i'm todd marquart um, the host of talk law radio i'm also an attorney with marquart law firm and so i wanted to talk just to remind everybody about uh, my background i'm actually from new mexico um, but i came to san antonio texas to go to saint mary's law school when i arrived in uh, 2003 uh, the dean of saint mary's law school was uh, dean bill pyatt and he was from new mexico and so he had uh, recruited students from new mexico and uh, i actually found out about saint mary's when i was after i graduated from new mexico state university with my bachelor's degree in government and law and society studies i was working for the new mexico state land office and i met a lot of people while i was working there i was the legislative liaison and so i i helped um, the land office keep track of uh, bills that were being introduced to the new mexico legislature and i became acquainted with the general counsel for the state police and she said oh you want to go to law school well you should go to st mary's in san antonio and i said okay 
And so I made a visit, and uh, my dad and I toured the campus, and we toured San Antonio, and I just fell in love with the people because I, I'm from a small town called Alamogordo, New Mexico, and about 40,000 people. So it's not tiny. I know some people are from smaller towns, but it was small town, especially compared to San Antonio. Well, the people in San Antonio are friendly. Not all people from all cities are friendly. You probably bumped into some of these grumpy people. Well, when I found people that were friendly in a big city that offered opportunities to my family and my children and me, I thought, this is a pretty cool place. And uh, St. Mary's was a great experience. Um, if you're not a lawyer yourself, maybe you don't know how difficult it is to get through law school. It's sort of like uh, using a new part of your brain. It's not memorization of laws that makes law school difficult. It's uh, thinking through um, situations and problems in a way where you can um, overcome barriers and solve problems. And so that even if uh, you were real smart and made good grades in college, it, it was still difficult for me in law school. I had to learn how to take a test. <laughs> and uh, so by the time I graduated, I had figured that out. Um, but what made St. Mary's so special and unique is that um, it's a Catholic university. Now, I'm not Catholic, but I sure did appreciate having uh, people pray over me when I was testing, to have a, a place to go to, people to talk to, to uh, get some guidance and direction when I needed it. So St. Mary's was more than just an educational institution. It was uh, providing some um, support so if if you know somebody who's thinking about law school, I would certainly recommend St. Mary's. Well, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, I will talk more about the top ten problems I see. So stay tuned. You've heard him on Talk Law Radio. Now work with his firm yourself. Our court law firm is the go-to firm in San Antonio for wills, trusts, and powers of attorney. Want to have a say on who will get your money and assets when you die instead of leaving it up to a judge? Then you need a proper estate plan in place, and Marquardt Law Firm can help you do just that. They can also develop a strategy for your long-term care financing and help maneuver the complicated Medicaid process for your family. Call them today to schedule your no-cost legal consultation. Call 210-530-4278. Again, that's 210-530-4278. Protect what's yours with Marquardt Law Firm. MarquardtLawFirm.com. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. That's me. I'm talking about the top ten problems with home-cooked last wills and half-baked plans uh, what chaos might erupt from a homemade last will. Now, not everybody goes to an attorney to have their will done. There are some people, like Howard Hughes, the famous uh, movie producer and test pilot, who would write a will on a scratch piece of paper. And so I'll tell you what I know about Howard Hughes. 
um, I read that the probate of his wills, there were several wills offered for probate, all claiming to be the his last will, lasted 34 years. His estate was in probate from 1976 to 2010 because the court had to evaluate each of these claims. It was like a trial each time somebody said, I have the real last will of Howard Hughes. And what I learned from uh, reading an article in the Wall Street Journal is that the result of uh, that 34-year-old probate was that about a 1,000 people benefited from his estate, including 200 of his distant relatives. And after liquidating everything that he owned, um, many of his many of those 200 distant relatives uh, received about $1.5 billion in inheritance from him. Now, he also had um, a medical nonprofit in Florida that, that benefited from that as well. Um, but it just goes to show you that when you don't have things uh, tightened up, that um, chaos could continue on for decades. So the the basic statute about wills that we'll start with here today is uh, from the Texas Estates Code, Section 251.051. Uh, it says a will has to be written, signed, and attested. So that's the, the basic will has to be written. You know, it, you can't just talk about it. So it has to be written down. And it has to be signed by the testator. That's the legal word for the person that's uh, leaving a last will and testament. And it has to be witnessed by two people in the testator's presence and in the presence of the two witnesses. Now, there is an exception if you handwrite your own will. Uh, that's an exception. A will written in... Uh, the testator's handwriting is not required to be attested by subscribing witnesses. And that's where all the problems come in, is because uh, you have to use the right words. Just because uh, you write down what you want to happen, it, it doesn't mean that that's a will. You, may th you might think it's a will. Your brother, your sister, your, your son, your daughter, your niece, your nephew, your granddaughter, your grandson, they all might think this is your will. But if you don't use the right words, a probate judge is not going to uh, validate it as a will. So that's the whole thing. What two things have to happen in order for a will to be useful? Well, number one, you have to die because a will... A judge has to agree that it's a valid will, and that's the probate process. Uh, the The Latin word, uh, the root word for probate is probare, and it means to prove. So that's what you're doing. You're proving that the will is valid. And just a side note that uh, just because your will is written by an attorney doesn't mean that it's any good or that it's going to be valid because... Over my um, years of experience, I have seen wills prepared by attorneys that were bad. 
and uh, a couple that were totally invalid. So it it helps to go to somebody who focuses on wills and probate because the law has become sort of like medicine and healthcare. There's so much information out there that uh, we've become uh, focused in certain areas. You know, just think about the doctors that you see. You probably have a primary care that's a generalist, but then you also have an internist, you have a cardiologist, a pulmonologist, you have uh, your bone doctor, you have your skin doctor, you have your foot doctor, you have your ear, nose, and throat doctor. Um, sorry, I don't know all the technical terms of those physicians off the top of my head, but you know what I'm talking about. So lawyers have sort of done the same thing because um, the federal laws are different than the state laws, and within the state you have uh, differences between civil law and criminal law, and you have all this procedure that we also have to keep track of. And so it it's enough for me just to keep track of wills and trusts and business and tax and probate and guardianship elder law and government benefits. That's still a lot of stuff for me, but I I do at least double the continuing education hours that are required for a lawyer to do. And that that helps me to be a member of the Texas Bar College. It's uh it's like a club for uh attorneys that do more continuing education than is necessary. So the Words that you write into your will must express your testamentary intent. So that's a a legal phrase. That's a term of art. And so I'll help you break that down a little bit. So the first word, testamentary, comes from the word testament. And I I looked up some of these terms. Um, One... Uh, online dictionary said a testament is a statement of belief. The most famous testaments are the two parts of the Christian Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Bible, um, some I've I've seen um, some versions of the Bible that use the word testament, and some versions of the Bible that use covenant. So there, I think there is a difference, but. Um, when you're trying to interpret ancient languages, sometimes uh, they use these words interchangeably because maybe the the translation is uh, so close, so similar. So from Hebrews 9.15 it says, Therefore he, Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Again, that's Hebrews 9.15. So the first covenant, that was the Old Testament. The new covenant, that's the New Testament. Another um, online source, BibleStudyTools.com, puts it this way. A covenant is an agreement... For where a testament is, there must also be necessity be the death of the testator, 
again, the person that wrote the the uh, agreement, for a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator is alive. Okay. Some other lawyers have done some research and, and tried to find the origins of where last will and testament comes from, that phrase. And uh, some believe that the will came from the English king courts and testament came from the ecclesiastical courts, the church courts. So we use last will and testament, both the the government court and the ecclesiastical or church court. But nowadays, you could just call it a will. Anyway, that's uh, some background on where that terminology comes from. So there's a court case, um, Henson versus Henson. It's a Texas case from 1955 that says that testimony intent is required in order for a will to be probated. And and so the court held that uh, in order for the disposition of property to take effect after death, is it essential, it is essential that the creator of the will have intended to express his testamentary wishes in the particular instrument offered for probate. So we'll talk about what that means in, in more detail. And I'll explain by by telling you some things that have been determined not to be wills. So there was a series of documents. This is another court case where a series of documents were offered for probate. And one was an envelope. And it just said uh, the testator's name and had the word notes. And inside the envelope was a sheet of paper taken from a a small tablet. And on it was written the words, Henry, please accept this, you and F.Y. Adams, for the kindness shown me. So these are the, the, the alleged beneficiaries. Also in the envelope was a promissory note. And the details of that promissory note are not real important. But the half-brother of the deceased person contested the application for probate and said, the envelope, that scrap of paper, and that promissory note are not a will. And the judge agreed um, because it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a will. And, and there was another will that they found later, and so that probably helped the court to establish that those three writings uh, offered before weren't a will, especially since they found another will. Okay, so there's an, another court case where they're, they're wanting to um, probate a document, 
So the the point of this case is uh, you have to use the right words. If you use the wrong words, then they tend to think that it's definitely not a will. And so there was a writing where uh, there were three things written. One, it is our wish that the survivor of us shall have and provide for himself or herself, as the case may be, a decent and comfortable living, as has been the custom during our married life. Second, it is our wish and desire that all of our debts, um, personal property and other property, shall be first paid out of the property that may be remaining. And third, our sons each have whatever's left. So when we come back from our break, I will explain why those words were determined by the court to not be a will to not be expressing testamentary intent. And then we'll also get into other problems of home-cooked last wills and half-baked plans. So stay tuned and learn more. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio. I'm your host, Todd Marquardt. We're on 9.30 a.m. The Answer, and we'll also uh, record this and save this in our podcast, which you can find on Apple uh, Podcasts. You can also go to www.talklawradio.com and find our podcast there. And you can also listen online live at 930amtheanswer.com. We were talking about top 10 problems with home-cooked last wills and half-baked plans. What chaos might erupt from a homemade will? And I was talking about the uh, using the wrong words. Uh, short and simple wills lead to long and complicated probate proceedings. So if you just say, it's my wish and desire, um, that's called precatory, meaning that it's, it, it doesn't mean that you intend for something to happen. Uh, you're not doing anything. You're just saying, I, those are my hopes and wishes. And so if you're going to handwrite your will, I, you should probably use uh, words like, uh, I give or I bequeath or I devise. Okay, the next problem uh, that I see is when you fail to make the executor's job easy. If you're going to name a bank or other financial institution, um, you probably don't worry about whether the job is going to be easy or not. But if you're going to name a friend or a family member, somebody who you care about, you probably don't want to create more stress in their lives. And so if you don't make their job easy, it's going to be more complicated, more difficult to wrap up your affairs, pay your bills, and distribute everything after you're gone. So there are different types of executors. Uh, You can also call them personal representatives. In New Mexico, they use that term, personal representative. In Texas, uh, we only use personal representative to be a more generic term that includes independent executors, dependent executor, uh, dependent administrators. You could also have an independent administrator. Um, 
we won't get into the the semantics of all of that uh, except to say that a dependent administrator has to be supervised by the court so everything that the dependent administrator needs to do with wrapping up your affairs and paying your bills and making the distributions you have to have the court's permission so if you don't make your executor independent by default they're dependent there's a presumption that the administrator is going to be dependent on the theory that the testator would want all of the safeguards of the dependent administration system unless specifically indicated to the contrary in the will so when when you make your executor independent you're saying I have so much faith and so much trust in the person that I've named that they're going to carry out the terms of my will and that they're going to ask act in the best interest of the beneficiaries that I'm not going to require this uh, proceeding to be supervised so um, this is one of the things I see in homemade wills Frankenstein wills is that the executors named but they don't have the power to do anything and they have to be supervised by the court anyway okay so what words cause this problem well in this in this court case McMahon versus McMahon it's a Texas case um, did the will of McMahon create an independent administration uh, the court held it did not the the will directed that the testator's sons quote shall take charge of everything belonging end quote to the estate as completely as the testator could do and manage the same as the as they deemed best coupled with the power to sell real estate and shall do the things enumerated without bond of any sort so the court held that that wasn't enough um, because they didn't the will didn't say that the executor could be independent um, there's another uh, court case that held that uh, direction by the testator in his will that bond should not be required of the executors um, did not establish independent administration so the question about whether you're going to require the executor to post bond or not that's a different question uh, that alone doesn't indicate whether or not you want the executor to serve independently <clears throat> excuse me so I also learned that uh, from professor Jerry Byer he's a famous uh, law professor he he served uh, for many years at st. Mary's and now he's teaching at Texas Tech in Lubbock Texas um, he said that Texas was a pioneer in the area of non court supervised administration since the first independent administration statutes were enacted in 1843 so Texas has been allowing for independent administration unsupervised probate proceedings for a really long time and so we we should have this figured out by now um, basically uh, chapter 401 of the Texas Estates Code says that if you want your executor to be independent just say so just write that in there that my executor shall serve independently 
And there's uh, some specific language that can be quoted to make that uh, very clear. So it, it just has to be an expression of the testator's intent that, um, that the executor serve independently. Something else that would make the executor's job really easy would be waiving that requirement of bond. So the, the default rule is that an executor or a dependent administrator has to post a bond which is like an insurance policy that insures the assets of the estate uh, just in case the administrator uh, makes a mistake and loses assets or steals assets then the insurance policy would make the beneficiaries whole well the, that costs money that insurance policy that bond and so if you put in your will that you waive the requirement of bond then you're you're saving the estate money but all this is predicated on the the point that the person you've nominated is so trustworthy and and so capable that they're going to carry out the terms of your will uh, without causing damage okay so we've been talking about the top ten problems with home-cooked last wills and half-baked plans we talked about using the wrong words. We talked about failing to make the exec executor's job easy. And uh, number three is failing to give the executor sufficient authority to wrap up your affairs, pay your bills, and distribute property. Anything, any words that you leave out of the will are going to be have to be interpreted or decided by the judge. So that will bring your your nominated family member or friend back into court so what I'm talking about specifically the power the authority that you give an executor you can list it in the will everything that you want him or her to have the authority to do and one of the most important ones is the power to sell property because uh, there's a presumption that um, the the property let's say you're giving a house to your four sons um, the presumption is that they're all going to share the house well how successful do you think that venture is going to go you have four people that hopefully love each other dearly but they probably all have different opinions about what to do with the house well unless you have to sell the house to pay the bills um, if there's no power of sale written into the will, you're going to have to ask the court for permission to sell just so that you can divide up the proceeds. So that's one thing that will cause chaos if you leave that out. And uh, you can put the power of sale in the will. There's a statute that, that says that we can do that. Uh, Section 356.002 of the Texas Estates Code. Uh, another problem I see that people make when they name beneficiaries on their life insurance, on their retirement plans, or beneficiaries in their last will is that they designate um, people who are under the age of 18 to be beneficiaries. Well, um, people under the age of 18 are not entitled to own assets in their own name because they're not entitled to contract so if you name somebody under the age of 18 as a beneficiary uh, 
there's going to be a problem. Now, maybe they'll ultimately get the money uh, when they turn 18, or you're going to have to go uh, get a guardian appointed just so that they can uh, have the money sooner. And guardianship is a supervised process by a court and judge also. Uh, There are other ways to leave minor children assets, uh, most notably through a trust. Um, But if you just name their names, that's going to cause some chaos. And even if, uh, let's say, I pass away, my wife survives me, even though she's the mother of our children, if I name one of my children beneficiary, she's not entitled to uh, manage that money for them unless she applies to the guardianship court to be guardian of the estate, that's the assets of the children. It sounds a little ridiculous, so don't let that happen to you. We'll be back with more. Stay tuned. You've heard him on Talk Law Radio. Now work with his firm yourself. Our court law firm is the go-to firm in San Antonio for wills, trusts, and powers of attorney. Want to have a say on who will get your money and assets when you die instead of leaving it up to a judge? Then you need a proper estate plan in place, and Marquardt Law Firm can help you do just that. It can also develop a strategy for your long-term care financing and help maneuver the complicated Medicaid process for your family. Call them today to schedule your no-cost legal consultation. Call 210-530-4278. Again, that's 210-530-4278. Protect what's yours with Marquardt Law Firm. MarquardtLawFirm.com. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt on 9.30 a.m. The Answer and on podcast. You can find our podcast at Apple Podcasts. You can find our podcast on www.talklawradio.com. And if you have a question that you would like me to answer on the air, uh, please email me at host at talklawradio.com. That's H is in Harry, O, S is in Sam, T is in Timothy, at talklawradio.com. Let me know what your questions are, and I'll try and uh, build a show around it. Today, we're talking about top 10 problems with home-baked, <laughs> home-cooked last wills and half-baked plans. What chaos might erupt from a homemade will? And uh, right now, we just finished talking about leaving assets to minor beneficiaries. Uh, number five is making assumptions that someone will do the, quote, right thing, even though it's not written into the will. And I don't have to tell you that uh, memories fade, and people will often rationalize their behavior and their decisions to fit either their self-interest or they'll be influenced by their girlfriend, boyfriend, or spouse and and cause them to do something different. For example, if, let's say, the deceased person leaves his uh, brokerage account to his only, well, not his only child, but the, the, <laughs> the child that took care of him when he was ill during his last illness, leaving several other children. But he leaves it all to the the child that cared for him enough to uh, be around during his last illness. 
but he says, and I want you to share this with everybody else. Well, technically, legally, uh, that the child that is named beneficiary of that account doesn't have to do anything. Um, it's going to be in their name, and they can use it the way that they please. And the fact that you want that person to share it with other people, well, now you're creating a gift tax issue for them because it's no longer coming from your estate. It's coming from them personally while they're alive. And so there's all kinds of tax problems with that, with making a lifetime gift. And so you're, you, it might be easy for you um, because you don't have to talk to a lawyer about what you're doing, um, but it could potentially um, result in a lawsuit between uh, the beneficiary and these other people who feel like they've been disinherited. Uh, they might even accuse that, that one beneficiary of unduly influencing you or doing something fraudulent with your estate. And this thing could drag out in litigation for months or years. So I would I would say definitely don't assume that somebody's going to do quote the right thing even though you're not going to write it down in a legal document that's legally enforceable. Uh, another thing that another problem that happens is uh let, let's say you want to give somebody the house. I want I want my spouse to have my house, but I'm going to give all my personal property um to um, my friend Joe. Well, um, my spouse probably thinks that some of the things in the house are her personal property. And so there's a, already a dispute about, well, whose guitar is that? Whose TV is that? And did I have uh, authority to give it away or not? And bear in mind, you have to remember that Texas is a community property state and uh, the pre presumption is that after you get married, uh, everything that you earn or acquire is one half owned by each spouse. So the deceased spouse can only give away his or her one half. The surviving spouse keeps his or her one half. So you can't give more than your one half unless you're claiming part of it is separate property. Okay, so if I say... Um, my vacation house and the contents go to uh, my ne nephew, well, then we have to look at what is the definition of contents. Um, section 255.003 provides that the contents of any specifically gifted item are not included in the gift unless the, the gift expressly includes the contents. So... Uh, in the case, if I give my house to one person, that's not going to include uh, the contents unless I say so. So, for, okay, I already explained that. Okay, so the definition of contents means tangible personal property other than titled personal property. So contents would be um, stuff in my house, for example, that doesn't have a paper title. Furniture, dishes, um, th some jewelry, those types of things that can constitute tangible personal property because it's not titled personal property. 
So titled personal property includes uh, property represented by a certificate of title, a certificate of ownership, written label, marking, or designation that signifies ownership. So that could be a motor vehicle, a boat, uh, something like that that has paper title. So the point here is that you want to use the right words. Again, you want to be clear about who gets what specifically, because I have seen lawsuits over the, the phrase contents. Okay, personal property, just in case you're wondering, is defined as uh, goods, money, chosen action, evidence of debt, and a real chattel. And um, I've never used that phrase, real chattel, um, but it, it's like a lease. Okay, next on the list of top ten things, uh, problems with uh, home-cooked wills and half-baked plans is failure to give instructions about funeral and ashes. Uh, we call this in the legal world disposition of remains. You can decide how you want to be disposed of um, or buried or cremated. So there is a law under Texas Health and Safety Code, Section 711.002, which allows the, the decedent to direct disposition. Uh, direction by will, prepaid funeral contract, written instrument, signed and acknowledged. So there's a form that your lawyer can do to make sure that nobody fights about how you are going to be buried or cremated. And it's very important because I have seen people who spend thousands of dollars fighting over ashes and fighting over who is going to get to decide how the funeral is going to go. Um, and there's court cases about this. Um, for the situation might come up like in this one court case where uh, a daughter from a previous marriage of the deceased person um, set up the uh, funeral plans and the surviving spouse didn't really find out what happened until after the decedent was cremated. Well, that's tragic, right? I mean, how do you think that that surviving spouse feels? And it's not just with blended families. This happens with uh, uh, families that have um, a marriage that lasts until death and kids that are, are all born of the same parents. Uh, okay. Another issue that I see... It's not related to wills, but I wanted to talk about it anyway because it goes with half-baked planning, and that's the failure to fully fund a trust. You spend a lot of money setting up a trust because you want your specific instructions to be legally enforceable. Well, the trustee can only use and, and take control of what the trust owns. And so if, if you don't take that extra step to make sure that the trust is funded by transferring your assets to the trust, that the trustee is not going to be able to deal with it. And so usually we have a pour-over will that uh, the primary beneficiary is going to be the trust, and so there's a mechanism uh, to carry out 
the wishes, but it's going to take this extra step of probating the will. And for all beneficiaries that face that dilemma, they're all upset by it. And it's usually an accident. It's um, after decades after you set up the trust, you, you sell the house that was in the trust, and you just forget to put the new house in the trust. So you have to keep up with it, and hopefully you, you have a, a relationship with your estate planning attorney that reminds you to do these things periodically just in case you forget. I've also seen a lot of accidental disinheritance through joint ownership of assets. You already have your, your will and your trust and your power of attorney that gives somebody authority to make decisions and, and pay bills. They don't also need to be owner of the account. If they're owner of the account with rights of survivorship, all of that legal planning that you did is going to go out the window because that, that joint owner is probably going to end up with the assets. Okay, Barry is going to play a short clip of a song that remind that I was reminded of when uh, I was uh, preparing for this show. It goes with... Go ahead, Barry. You shake my nerves and you rattle my brain okay so that was uh, Jerry Lee Lewis in great balls of fire it might be a thrill for you, but a definite nightmare for your beneficiaries if you let somebody write your will. Um, just like anything in life, hiring a professional is definitely wor worth it. Uh, if you're listening to our podcast uh, or listening on Facebook, uh, please give us a thumbs up or uh, click the heart or uh, the like icon if you enjoyed this. And if you want more information about wills and trusts, you can visit marquartlawfirm.com slash wills hyphen trusts for more information. Again, you've been listening to Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquart on 9.30 a.m. The Answer, and we'll have more episodes next week, so stay tuned.